0: Hello and welcome to the Joy Girl Podcast. My name is Dara Avery-Trainer and I am so glad you tuned in today because I got to chat with Cleto Rodriguez and he is known for his infectious energy, sharp wit, and relatable comic humor. With a career spanning over two decades, Cleto is a beloved fan favorite known for his hilarious observations and comedic storytelling. Born and raised in San Antonio, Texas, Cleto draws inspiration from his Mexican-American heritage, weaving cultural experiences into his comedy. Cleto has appeared on numerous television shows, including Laughs on Fox and Comedy Central Presents. He has shared the stage with comedians like Jeff Foxworthy, Gabriel Iglesias, and George Lopez. Today, we talk about joy in marriage, career, and everything in between that ultimately makes up a beautiful life. I'm so excited to share this special episode with you, so please help me welcome the very funny and extremely down-to-earth, friend in the making, Kato Rodriguez.
1: Well, I am so excited today. Cleto, thank you so much for jumping on. I I just know you're going to have so much insight on everything that we're going to talk about and everything to do with joy. So thank you for being here. This is We're going to just have some fun. So if Thanks you're listening, you're in for a treat. I'm making promises already. This is going to be great. So I'm going to kick it off with a question I ask everyone, and that is, what's something that brings you joy?
2: Buffets. Buffet, like buffet brings me joy.
1: <laughs> Are we talking like we gotta go like Vegas? Like uh, we're gonna go like you know, all in? Because I mean, I I love a good Vegas buffet.
2: You know, trust me, I I went to the. <laughs> it's a funny story. I actually my first time in okay. Vegas. Uh, we were doing the Las Vegas Comedy Festival, and uh, one of the things was my my buddy and I we were we had uh, discounted rooms at the Rio Hotel. And, uh, okay. their buffet has, it's like the world's, it says the world's biggest buffet and they're not lying. I mean, he had every country, you know, established and from, you know, I had a little Italy over here, a little China over here, a little Mexico, <laughs> pretty much everything. And I remember <laughs> this was the day after I just, um, I just got diagnosis, borderline diabetic. And, um, uh, the next day yeah. I'm there. And my buddy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I walk in, it's like heaven. Oh, I mean, it was just like awesome. (laughs) And I'm, I got like two big plates of food. There's no one there near, I haven't even got the dessert yet. And I'm sitting there and my phone rings it's my cell phone. And my, my friend looks at it and it's my wife and he goes, Aren't you going to mm-hmm. get that? Your wife said, no, 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 no. I said, uh-uh. <laughs> I said, I don't even know how she knows I'm here right now. I don't get how she knows I'm eating right now. Like she has some kind of radar sensor, something that just let her know that I was here. And sure enough, he goes, you're not going to answer? And I said, look, here, rich. His name's Richard. And I said, look, <laughs> wait, my wife and I just got married. And uh, te- I go, technically, if I never married her, and I never got on her insurance. I've never gone to the doctor. So let's just say I went to the doctor next week and he told me this news about being borderline diabetic. So then I'll start then. And that's pretty much the story I had on my buffet right there. But no, I think what brings me joy is so many, uh, you know, honestly, what brings me joy is, is now uh, Peace. Peace brings me joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm I always got a busy schedule, and and when I got a chance to just take a moment to sit back, relax a little bit, and just kind of, you know, uh, meditate on what I just did and see if I did it right or wrong. Mm-hmm. That kind of brings me joy. But if you ask me that question, it's kind of like uh, it's one of those questions that I would have to go back and and there's a different season for everything, and for me, it's a different yeah. season. Now than it was uh four years ago or three years ago, and uh I have a different perspective on it, so
1: yeah, no, that's fair and i'm I'm Italian, so food always brings me joy, like mm. I have so many memories of just smelling good Italian sauce growing up, my grandmother, my father, like and cooking and like serving other people in hospitality like that brings me a ton of joy, too, just to know like everyone. Cause it just facilitates, I don't know, like community to me, yeah. like food. You have to have food. Like it's not a party if you don't have food Absolutely. and I overcook.
2: For, See, so. I-, I wish my wife yeah. thought like
1: so that. So I I'm tracking.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. But no, I mean, every time we go to Vegas, it's like, okay, we got to hit all the buffets. So, and I like that. I have not heard that yet. Although I will say a lot of people talk about some element of food. Yeah. Like popcorn was one of my answers. So just so you know. But peace in a deeper sense, I have to agree and yes. reflecting on the things that we've done. So you touched on something. I never, ever stick with anything I write because <laughs> I get excited about things that you've already mentioned. So I have to ask, you have a very funny bit about proposing to your wife and had it, it had to be extra, right? Which I, I get this, poor Sean, he was in the same boat. And it was during Kitchener. So my question, yeah. this is like, so personally, like my own question. I don't know. Listeners are, I know they want to know too, though. Did you have to do a redo or was that the proposal?
2: That was the proposal. And, um, it took,
1: that was the proposal. That
2: was the proposal <laughs> thing. Cause my wife, when we were, I love it. when we were dating, my wife says, I hope whoever asked me to marry uh-huh. them is original. Now. Yeah. I thought it was original, doing it as a game of Pictionary, and my friends were in on the game, and I drew a church plus a ring plus people, but I was so nervous about asking her to marry me, I forgot to put the cross on the church. So she's sitting there (laughs) guessing, like, pawn shop, you know, flea market, you know, and and all these other—I'm like, no, it's will you marry me, and— oh man i I did not expect that response I mean i, I would have rather had her say, just say no than go through twenty years of her just lying to herself thinking that that was just original and great and I just found out like I kid you not maybe two weeks ago that she never liked that proposal I mean she got so we were having uh what we call intense fellowship one night and um she said she said yeah I even like that proposal it was dumb it was like I'm like I'm like, wait a minute. Now you're coming out with the truth now. And then, you know, the way, I mean, I got to do the whole thing over because she told me when we were, Mm -hmm. um, let's see, we're coming up on 25 years of marriage. She said, you know, on our 25th year event, our 25th year anniversary, I definitely want a bigger ring and I want to redo Mm -hmm. our vows and I want to basically do the whole thing over. And I go, you did you not like the first time around? Yeah. And she's like, No, I didn't. No, not at all. And what made you think Pictionary would be so romantic? I mean, all my friends and everybody, you know, got the ring and the wine glass and, you know, and the champagne and all this stuff. And I said, Well, I could have put it in Top Ramen, but I mean that wouldn't have I mean that would have been original, but you know, it's like I didn't want to do anything like that, you know, because that was an expensive ring. I mean, I was still making payments on it. And, uh, you know, she just, she just kind of uh, didn't see, I I mean, here I am, I thought it was a sweet move, but no, not her, not so much. So yeah, that was the actual, that was the (laughs) actual proposal.
1: (laughs) I love it. That's such a selfish question, but real, real quick of a long story with, with Sean. So he had come with a jewelry box to my, over to my house and i have ring cameras so i mean you can't really be sneaky yeah. so i saw the box and of course i'm like not one to play it cool so i'm digging through every drawer everywhere in the house trying to find this box with a girlfriend of mine and it's when we find the box i was like okay well i can't be that person so you look in the box and you just like tell me if i need to get like a manicure you know give me a hint if it's what <laughs> we think it is and she opens this box and she is screaming, crying. And then at that point, I'm like, well, just give it to me. Let me see. And then, so I'm trying on the ring. And, oh, I mean, we're just, we're screaming, freaking out right in the house. Poor Sean. And so I've now taken it upon myself to get, like, an engagement photographer. I, I'm all ready. I know it's going to be for Christmas. Because it's, like, two weeks before Christmas, right? So I'm like, surely. Well, the, the sad, very sad part about this story is Sean just wanted to buy me something that sparkled. And I guess the sales guy, (laughs) I have words, um, had said, oh, no, no, that's a cocktail ring. That's, you know, she'll love it. (laughs) And so Sean, like, had no idea I knew. And he had no intention of proposing. Oh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) um, Yeah. So when he had to, I'm like, you got to talk about sorry, you've got to redeem yourself, buddy, because I'm going around telling everyone this is a friendship ring and everyone's saying congratulations. Oh, it's such a mess. And it's my own fault because I couldn't just like play it cool. I don't know if it would have been any better though. I mean, it, it looks identical to an engagement ring. So now every Christmas I break it out
2: Oh, and I put crazy. it on my
1: finger, and everybody says, "Oh, what a lovely cocktail ring!" Because everybody knows. So, anyway, I had to know about the Pictionary because I think this is a girl thing, and it's like yeah. poor guys. I mean, it's just the the bar is set so incredibly high. So
2: yeah, she didn't. She um, yeah, didn't think so that was me. romantic at all. She did not think that was romantic at all. Well,
1: I think it was original. I, no, I think thanks. it was very original. You know, I've never heard of such thing. So. Yeah. And you've probably never heard of a non proposal proposal. <laughs> she told me, she told me, was, no, no, she, no, she, got,
2: she got so mad. She goes, Wow, you're gonna give me your queen a uh, uh, you're gonna propose to me during a game of Pictionary. She goes, Where's our honeymoon? Candyland. I was like, Oh, wow, she's just clowning so, me, so she's just clowning me now. She's good. She's pretty good, yeah. She, she keeps she,
1: you on your feet.
2: She bought me that game Uno because she said that's what I was. I was going to be playing Uno by myself. <laughs> Solitaire.
1: Well, you, you, you yeah, you got to give her credit. So one of the things we have in common with our stories is, so I married into, a, I have a beautiful stepson who I, like, adore. And I know you have two stepsons. Mm-hmm. So can you talk, I have, like, a whole chapter and my book about joy about your tribe. and your tribe are the people that are just there for you. they're They're made up of perhaps family or friends. And sometimes our families, you know, blended families look look different. And so I know there's going to be people out there listening that um that fall into that category. And that's definitely an adjustment. So anything you found challenging with raising to, uh, of your step, your stepsons sons or things you would do differently. Can you speak to that at all when it comes to family, blended families?
2: You know, when I met my wife, she had two boys um, and then and, and I had a little girl from my previous. And, you know, the the two the two boys, um, you know, they just uh, I really got blessed. I got blessed with two awesome I mean, we don't like to use the word stepson. We just kind of just call them Mm -hmm. sons. And, uh, you know, I've helped raise them. And uh, my job, I remember seeing when I met their dad when I was going to marry my wife. And uh, I met him at a birthday party. And he said, hey, you know, I heard you're going to be, you know, marrying uh, Lynette. And uh, just wanted to, you know, you're going to be around my kids a lot. And kind of gave me the, you know, the father speech kind of thing. And I said, look, my job is is to let them know that, you know, you're their father. You know, my job is to make sure they're healthy and taken care of till they see you again. I go, that was my promise to him. And I said, in the meantime, and and along the way, you know, I'm just going to take care of them, look after them like if they were my own, but I know that they are yours. And Mm -hmm. I wanted him to know that because – I have a daughter and I ain't want her calling another man, dad, you know, and that kind of thing. And, uh, that was really meaningful to me at the time. Um, but I just wanted to reassure him that, you know, the father that, that, you know, Cause I mean, he could not get along with my ex. I mean, with his ex, my wife, and uh, he was like, "Look, I don't even want to deal with her no more. I'm just gonna deal with you." <laughs> so, I was like the mediator and the middleman, and you know, I was the calm one and that kind of thing. And uh, but it was all respectful along the way across the board. And uh, but I did get blessed with two awesome uh, sons that just uh, you know they have the highest, uh, respect for me and, uh, and, and, and me for them. And, and the one lesson that I did take from all of it in the beginning was the fact that, um, I didn't, uh, I remember I went to a men's conference and, uh, you know, they were talking about raising kids that are not your own and you look at them and you see their dad, you see, you know, the, the antics or you see some of the similarities and you just kind of, uh, you you feel like you're just going through the motions and it wasn't until I went to that conference that they said that you know as much as you want respect from them you got to be able to give them their respect and uh, as living under your house and, and 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 with your you know as a family and uh, one of the things for me was that as soon as I started realizing that or I realized that and I started you know saying you know what that makes a lot of sense and giving them their um kind of like uh make like raising them in a sense of uh being able to enjoy not only each other but their surroundings and 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 build them with character and and so on and uh that was one of the things that my wife and I really wanted to instill in them and and uh, because they came from different I mean our household was totally different from their dad's household and they were able to do whatever they wanted to do and the challenge was that everything we built up all week would go out the window when they go to their dad's house for the weekend and they're able to do whatever. And right. it was just kind of kind of a tough thing. That was the, probably the toughest thing. But for the most part, you know, when they, um, I'll never forget our oldest boy, you know, we were on him quite a bit. But he wound up going to the military. He's something he wanted to do ever since he was little. And uh, he wound up going to the military. And, you know, he wound up thanking us later on for the, 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 the character building, the discipline, the, you know, just being stern with him and, and being able to teach him, you know, because that stayed with him. And that that was one thing that made him a stronger person. And he felt it when he was out in his three tours in Afghanistan. So that really uh, helped us, you know, along the way that uh, we we can look back and say you know hey we did good with this one this one let's still see what was going on here and uh but they actually both came out <laughs> i mean they all both came out pretty good uh, all of them came out really good and uh but it's you know we wanted their heart to be able to um put others first and uh you know themselves second and uh you know they 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 came through and now we got uh, our our younger batch my wife and I together we have three together and, uh, now it's like, uh, you know, we're doing it all over again and now we're a little bit more, um, um, I mean, you're talking about instilling, you know, not only, you know, life lessons, but your faith on top of everything else. And, and, uh, just being able to show them what true love means, you know, with each other. So that's been, uh, it, it's, it's awesome. I yeah. think once you embrace them. You got to lose the label of step. I mean, as soon as you lose that, then you'll be able to bring them into, bring them in closer. There's no boundary. There's no barrier. And I think that right there is what really helped our family. Yeah. Now, do we? Do we have our ups and downs. Of course, we do, but not a lot. Not as many as uh, you know a lot of families do.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. That's awesome. Um, Luke calls me. He's like, I don't want to call you my stepmom because. I've watched Cinderella. He's like, Stepmoms are mean. He goes, I'm gonna call you grandma. And I said, Oh, how endearing. <laughs> Thanks. Just just what I've dreamed of as a little girl. <laughs> so but it's funny. fun. And it's um, yeah, I know I know there's so many um families now that you know it can be such a source of joy. I do believe it can, but there can be growing pains with finding yeah. that rhythm for your family. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So okay, now let's talk some. Some comedy. So you're a clean comic. And I'm curious how that journey began for you. Did you set out to say like, there are some things non-negotiables that I I don't want to talk or do certain types of maybe perhaps sturdier jokes? Or was this kind of a process that you went through? Because your stuff is awesome. Uh, But I feel like it's something I can listen to with teenagers and not yeah. have to apologize for the material. Yeah.
2: I mean when I first started doing stand-up comedy I um I remembered that uh you know I grew up with Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor mm-hmm. and all these greats you know? mm-hmm. and um I saw it and I said that's what I I want to do. I want to do stand-up comedy. I want to do um I could do that. And uh started out as a dirty dirty filthy comedian pretty pretty much. And, um, one day I met my wife and my wife was a uh, Christian woman and was not having any of that. And, uh, I was trying to bring her to the dark side and that wasn't happening. And, uh, you know, I remember we were dating and she asked me, you know, what is it you're looking for? And I asked her, what are you looking for in a, in a relationship? She goes, I'm looking for a God fearing man. And I said, well, I'll help you find him. And, uh, cause that was not me at the time. And, uh, but enough, you know, I, I, I remember, I remember I had went through a rough breakup, um, with my ex and, uh, long story short, mm-hmm. she had did me wrong and, uh, pretty bad. And, and I remember, you know i just was going on stage and i was just venting and i was just cursing and cussing and just just venting basically doing the whole entertainer thing and and uh mm. you know i i i fell deep into alcohol and uh i remember just getting home from a gig one time and uh i remember i came into my apartment i was by myself and I I it was the it's an oxymoron but it was the loudest silence I ever heard in my life. And I said, you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and uh I remember I I prayed for the first time. And I I remember the prayer and it was like, you know, God, if you're there, hook me up because I'm dying over here. I'm like drinking myself to sleep and I'm just hurting hard. And I thought, you know, at that time I needed, you know, a female companion and it wasn't that at all. I I needed Christ in my life, and that's where uh, two days later I met my wife. And uh, you know, it's so funny because I didn't think God made beautiful Christians because I thought they all looked Amish. I thought they were all Amish looking, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, next thing you know, uh, when I noticed that you know she was a Christian, I was like, wow, okay. So I I felt that was a confirmation, but. I didn't trust any female and I put her through the ringer and, uh, you know, but I remember I wanted to be with her and, and I knew she came to see one of my shows and she was not impressed, you know, it just was so mm. awful. And she goes, look, I, like I said, if this is not, I want a God-fearing man, if that's not you, I would no worries. I'll pray for you and so on. And I didn't want to mess, miss out on Aww. that. So I wind up changing and I remember I I quit comedy to get myself right with God at the time, and then next thing you know it I came back and wow. I remember the you know like the Holy Spirit speaking through my wife and saying you know you need to really go show people what God's doing in your life but you got to do it His way you got to do it clean, and when I heard that mm. when I stopped doing comedy I know what I was gonna do, and when I heard that I was like okay yeah I could do clean so I became a student of clean comedy studied the greats like Bob Hope mm. Carson. Uh, um, you know Cosby, Sinbad, everybody, and uh, and next thing you know it, I just started doing clean comedy, and I remember I did my first Christian night, and it was at Addison Improv, and 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 uh, okay. <laughs> I'll never forget I bombed so bad <laughs> because I was thinking they wanted to hear some, they wanted to hear like oh a Mark and Luke walked into a bar, no maybe I don't know. And it was just so brutal. And then I found out later on that all they wanted was just clean comedy, just clean comedy about life. Mm-hmm. And then when I found that out, that became the big turnaround for me. And then the next thing you know it, I started doing more um, clean comedy shows. I started doing more churches, more corporate shows. Um, I stopped doing clubs for a minute. I stopped doing colleges. Um and I just was uh but then I also remembered it was deeper than that because, um, I realized that my stand up was my ministry, and I was able to yeah. I heard something when I did a show in uh Savannah, Georgia one time, and I bombed there, and it was for a show it was it was a Southern Baptist Church. And where I went wrong was when I said yes to fill in for my friend, who was not Mexican, by the way. And uh, and I was there in, in the Southern Baptist Church, and they didn't laugh at one thing I said. And they're all over 80. It was for a Valentine's Day dinner. Oh. And the hardest part that night was putting up uh, my DVDs in my suitcase because it was sad. It was just so bad. Like they, But it was not that I wasn't funny. It was the fact... I was Mexican and they were going to make a point at not laughing at what I was going to, anything I said. And it was sad. And I remember the two ladies from the congregation said, Mr. Rodriguez, we apologize for the way our, our church, our congregation treated you. And we, uh, that was not Christ. I go, you think (laughs) I was like, you know, uh, so that was, I remember going home the next day, they had a gentleman, an elder's uh, gentleman taking me to the airport and I remember just complaining to him, wondering, like, you know, just like, why does God have me here? I thought he'd have me at the clubs. Why am I here? What am I doing here? And, mm-hmm. and he goes, he said something I'll never forget. He said, you know, son, mm-hmm. God has you exactly where he wants you. He goes, um, and you have to understand something. Church is like a hospital. Mm-hmm. Not everybody there is healed. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and what you right. got is joy. And what you bring to the table is joy for 45 to an hour and you take people's minds off of their problems. He goes, that's your ministry. That's what you're there for. And I was like, done. And that's when I realized what it was. And yeah. so for me, uh, you know, doing the clean comedy, uh, I just had a friend of mine come up to me the other day and he goes, man, I can't believe after, you know, you doing 20 over 27 years of comedy now, you never went back you mm-hmm. never wavered you never went back and and follow, followed the easy road out and uh and to me it, it just it it was not about that anymore i mean i i the way i would put i'm the same act i do at a church is the same one i did at a bar <laughs> if a friend of mine told me mm-hmm. hey you want to go headline a bar I, get it. I said sure and then i go up there and i'm talking about you know, married a Christian woman and talking about my life. And they're just like, I mean, I had one guy come up to me one time. He was a, he was so drunk. He goes, Hey man, I've been waiting for you to say a bad word. I go, yeah, but did you laugh? He almost peed in my pants. I go, well then, you know, I did my job. So that's all that mattered to me at the time. So, you know, that was, uh, I found out there was a crowd out there. Um, So I mean, I like comedy. Period. I like you know all kinds of comedy. I myself just like to laugh, and uh, but for others, for me, what comes out the best, or you know, is a norm for me now, is just writing clean and writing funny, and and not you know hokey dokey. It's got to be you know really funny to be out there. I mean, I I'm I mean, I just uh, went through a terrible ordeal about to in 19 uh i'm sorry in 2021 with covid and um yeah. i mean you're looking at a walking miracle according to the doctors because i wasn't supposed to walk out of the hospital and i was in icu for mm-hmm. about three weeks and after that you just had a different perspective on life and you know what i used to do before that was just complain about where i was in my career and you know, my marriage and, and, you know, being my great dad kind of uncertain and kind of things. And then it's funny because, you know, you can be a, a, a believer on paper, but if you don't have a relationship that goes from right. here to here, let me tell you something, you can sing all the songs you want, you can know all the scriptures you want, but if you don't have that, that relationship, it ain't going to matter. And I was there and uh, yeah. I got blessed to be able to walk out of there. Um, and uh the, So for me, comedy takes on a whole new meaning now. I mean, it's just, there's no more hell gigs for me. (laughs) There are no more hell gigs for me. You can have five people in the audience and I'm going to make them five people laugh one way or another. I did my first prison not too long ago. And that was a a challenge. Oh, cool. Oh, that was a challenge. I remember my pastor said, hey we got a, uh, would you mind coming to make the guys laugh? And I'm like, uh, okay. And he goes, yeah. I go where? He goes at the prison. Mm -hmm. Now in my head, I already said no, but what came out was sure, pastor, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. No problem. And uh, so I'm there. (laughs) I have no no idea, but he made it sound like they were at a coffee shop, you know, like, can you come over here and, you know, make the guys laugh a little bit, you know, just, (laughs) and I'm like, uh, okay. And, I go, how many is in this Bible study? He goes, oh, about on a good day, Coleto, maybe 20. I go, oh, no problem. Yeah, I'll be there. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do I do something here. I, at the time, I did. Uh, I worked for the morning news. And uh, I did a mm. segment. I had my own segment called Where's Coleto? It was a man on the street piece on the morning news every day. And mm. it turns out they were big fans of mine. They would watch me on the TV every morning. So when I get to the to the prison, I see the pastor there and I go, So again, how many's in this Bible study? He goes, Yeah, about that. The warden found out you were coming and he's a big fan, and they watch you every morning. So he opened up to the whole population. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna get out of here. I'm gonna get shanked. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna I'm not gonna see my kids again. Okay. And he goes, Yeah, you got two shows. You got the first show for 300 and you got the second show for what they call the Knuckleheads, which is like 20 I said, Oh, mm-hmm. okay. First show, <clears throat> it was probably one of the best shows I ever had in my life. I wish I would have recorded it. They loved Aww. it. They were a captive audience, no mm-hmm. pun intended. And <laughs> I said, um, I said, Okay. So that one went well. The second show, There is three, there's, I'm sorry, the second show is 10 guys walk in and they sit down. And I told my pastor, I thought you said there was 20. He goes, oh yeah, they got in a fight in the hallway. So the other 10 had to go to lockdown. So you got these Mm -hmm. guys. I go, wait a minute. You're telling me I got to make 10 guys, 10 agitated guys laugh right now. He goes, yeah, go get them. I said, okay. (laughs) So here I am. And it's like pulling, it's like shooting skeet. Pull. Oh. <laughs> the one guy that would not laugh is that one Mexican guy that has like a teardrop right here. No, this brother had like a waterfall, like mm-hmm. he done some crying. You know, he was just like he had tears just coming down a lot. And I'm like, wow, I was like 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 like, like Schlitterbon. And uh I said, man, I said to uh uh I mean everyone laugh except this one guy, and the one thing that made him laugh, and there's nobody on this planet that can tell me I'm not funny. Because the one thing this guy that made him laugh, I said, you know, sir, I've been here for 30 minutes trying to make everybody laugh. And all you've been doing this whole time is sitting there crying. <laughs> mm. And he just started like, <laughs> he just went like this. I go, that's it. That's a laugh. I'll take it. That's a laugh. I said, uh-uh. <laughs> so that that right there, the comedy, even in clean, and, and, and you do clean, even in a prison You know, it's still, uh, Hmm. the whole mark is making them laugh, the bottom line. And, you know, it's a lot of guys do it different ways. But for me, that's the best way for me.
1: Yeah. So you touched on something I was going to actually ask. And then I didn't know all that about playing in prisons. That's quite the thing to add to the resume, which is (laughs) cool. But what I was going to ask was about um, pain and joy being able to live in the same space. Cuz I think for a lot of people and I'm a, a person of, of deep faith and and my relationship with Christ is, is really everything and that's where I believe true joy comes from. But a lot of people who have experienced heartbreak or something they've gone through with their health or, you know, circumstances that led to poor decisions, they maybe they feel like the the pain of their life, whatever the circumstances outweighs the joy so much that there's no way they can possibly coexist. But I believe that's not true, that there is always moments where there's joy, even Mm -hmm. when there's pain. So can you speak to maybe how you've experienced that personally or how you've seen that even maybe with an audience that just kind of comes in, you feel like it's heavy. And then all of a sudden you see that moment where it's like, okay, there's the joy, there's the joy that was missing.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I've been, you know, you talk about joy and pain, uh, for me. And I think a lot of comedians, um, a lot of comedians out there deal with pain on a daily basis. A lot of them, uh, knew what mental health was before we even knew what mental health was. I mean, they deal with different, um, scenarios, upbringing with their, their, from their family life. They have, uh, uh, again, I and I say comedians, and it could be musicians as well because of the songs they write and so on. And, you know, you see, you know, they say that, uh, you know, pain for com- comedians, you know, comedy is pain. And and some of the, the, the more pain you're in, the funnier you are. And, uh, I mean, take Robin Williams, for instance. I mean, nobody had no clue right. that this guy was just so full of, you know energy and joy and you know happiness and he was just but he was the most unhappy guy around and not nobody knew it and that's why i say earlier that comedians deserve an oscar because they they hide behind their their uh fears and they hide behind their um rejections through comedy and that's the wall of defense for a lot of them and some are able to mask it with alcohol and drugs and so on. And then there's some that can't and some that deal with it on a daily basis and they get anxiety and so on. Uh, So for comedians, they're living with that, that joy and pain, meaning the pain within themselves, but the joy that they bring out to others on stage. Um, For me, you know, on a personal level, I remember when I got really sick and you have a platform as and being on TV and and so on that you're open season to a lot of folks. And one thing I found out is there's a lot of uh, keyboard cowards that are <laughs> that need a lot of prayer because they come at you for whatever reason. And uh, I remember when um, I got sick, I had half of the city praying for me and the other half dogging me because unfortunately I wasn't vaccinated, and that was the biggest thing for them because everyone had an agenda at the moment and they were going to use me one way or another to make that point. And whether it was on this side or that mm-hmm. side, and I realized how cruel some people could be. And, uh, and for a minute, you know, you want to defend yourself. I mean, let's just put it this way. Long story short, I eat, a lot of people texted, I mean, uh, wrote on social media about me and I responded, but I had to delete it. <laughs> God didn't let me press send. He didn't let me press send. Oh, I wanted to press send so bad. And there was this one guy. (laughs) There was one guy that I I had to answer him because he got under my skin. And he said, you know, Coleto, all that money that they helped raise for you, you should have probably gave that money to a family that didn't ignore science. Now, I said, okay. I said, okay. Now, first of all, sir, let's get this this out of the way. Um, I flunked science. Let's get that out of the way. I flung science. All right. Second of all, <laughs> when was science class? Was it after humanity class or before compassion class? Because the hypocrisy you're talking about mm. makes no sense. You care if I'm vaccinated, but you don't care if I live or die. Because he said, he goes, if you die, you're on, it's mm. on your own. So I go, that that makes no sense. I said, does your mm. mother know you're using her computer? Does she? Does she know you're using her computer? Mm. So you're going to get in trouble, son. So you might want to, you know, get off the computer. So, I mean, it just was so brutal that you can have somebody Mm. fighting for their life and having to deal with that. And uh, it was just, my wife was like, get off that. Get off social media. You don't need to be on there. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing and just pray for them. And that was pretty much what I had to do. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it it gets to a Mm. point where after a while you just... You get tired of turning the other cheek because it's already sore. You know, (laughs) you're like, oh, I think it's bruised now. I think it's bruised now. So, you know, but other than that, you know, it's like the one part that was joy for me. I mean, my wife, I really felt for her because the hardest part of the whole being in Mm -hmm. ICU for three weeks was my father-in-law was just two doors down. And he had COVID mm. and unfortunately he didn't make it. He, um, he, uh, mm. he, he had, uh, what is it? Alzheimer's and he was 78 years old. And the only, I mean, I couldn't even go check on him. That's, I mean, I was two doors down. I couldn't go check on him and that was the hardest part. But oh. the, the CEO of the hospital let us all go. My in-laws go and, and be with him for his last, you know, few hours, uh, of his life. And, um, that was a blessing. Um, so we're able to do that. And, uh, other than that, we just, uh, you know, now I find, I, I don't find, I find joy in everything. I mean, I thank God for everything. I, mm-hmm. I, I rather than complain, I thank him now and even more so. And I can't thank him enough mm-hmm. for the opportunities that I get these days and, and just be able to, uh, try not to lose myself in myself. <laughs> so yeah, I think that yeah. the, there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of pain. And I think comedians need to resolve a lot of this pain, you know, and they do it, they do it through up. They do it on stage. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. No, very well said. I think that any artist of any, any type expresses, and it's, a lot of times it's therapy. Um, oh, yeah. I grew up um, around a family of musicians, and so I grew up singing and doing a lot of things. And And I find that that's like a release to be able to go up. And, and some people, it's their greatest fear to be in front of an audience. Others, it's like, this is my chance to pour out kind of the things I would bottle up and to release it. But I do think joy takes on different forms when you are confronted with something very difficult, and then when you are able to say, by some miracle, grace of God, I survived, and then that perspective on just gratitude—to say, you know, things don't look nearly as bad as they did before, because I've given—I've been given like a second chance, so to speak. So, my final question to you is going to be kind of a fun one. Um, so, you haven't read the book, but I'm curious—if you were to write a book on joy, what would be a chapter? that would need to be included. I just feel like having fun. This is nowhere written down, but uh, so obviously gratitude. And then I've, I've I've teased a little couple things that are in there, but what would you say? Like for someone who's just maybe needing more joy, what would be one thing you would think they would absolutely need to incorporate into their life to be able to have joy?
2: Uh, you know, I would probably say, uh, You you know it's that's a good question. What would you you know? I would have to (laughs) say laughter. You're
1: like I didn't write it. I didn't write the book. Why are you asking me? (laughs) I
2: I would I would say I would say laughter is one thing that I you can incorporate that in your life. You Mm -hmm. are going to see that because it, it gives you when you laugh it gives you a chance. When you laugh constantly and you laugh for a while, like at a comedy show.
1: Yeah,
2: You leave there like, if you're hurting, that was a great show. If you're even like, yeah. oh man, I took my mind off of everything. I mean, that was a great show. If you feel a little bit, you know, exhausted, I mean, from laughing. I mean, that is a mm-hmm. big win for you because it's, uh, you're releasing, you're releasing every laughter. Every I think every laugh, you're releasing something, worry, doubt timidness, something to where it's going to lighten your load a little bit. And I think if you can, if you can um, include laughter and uh, chocolate addiction, that might work out too. So, I mean, seriously, you can, <laughs> you can, uh, you know, you can't go wrong either way. You can't go wrong either way. And, uh, you know, so I would probably say, yeah, those two things, laughter and a chocolate addiction. Yeah. That would be it.
1: I love that. Eat. Eat more chocolate and laugh every day <laughs> instead of like, you know, an apple a day or whatever. No one wants an apple. Let's just no. have some chocolate. <laughs> just
2: chocolate. I mean, chocolate I agree really good chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure.
1: I agree. I live, I live with funny. And so I agree. And there is something about every day, just being able to find something to laugh about. It is amazing how that just changes the whole atmosphere of the room to just be lighthearted and uh, not always take everything so seriously. And so thank you for what you've chosen to do with your life, because I think we all do. We need more laughter and we need more um, opportunities to go out and to not be so, so serious. The world is serious enough. You know, I love a good drama, but like (laughs) life can be drama. Like we need to just laugh. And so Thank you for doing that. And thank you for doing that in a way that's super creative and being a storyteller, but not needing to get the cheap laugh, so to speak, um, and remaining family friendly.
2: That means a lot. I mean, it it makes it worth it. And I mean, uh, my creative part is it needs work because I got to work on the next proposal. But yeah, other than that, I should be okay.
1: (laughs) Well, as long I as you don't it. buy a diamond ring and say, Oh no, no, this is for friendship. I think you're already you're doing better than that story. So well, that you should be so yeah, I don't know. I would I would definitely say don't ask Sean. Don't ask my Sean. He's that's not his strength. He had talked so, about a flash mob actually, when, when he for real proposed. He was oh, gonna do wow. a flash, which I like a good show. So, you know, that's all I can throw out into that, your your creativity process so good luck
2: let let me tell you i i i don't love your husband i adore that man he is like he's been a really good friend of mine for many years and um he is Um, just like one of the he was one of the nicest guys when i first met him and uh he was he was actually waiting tables at the Mm -hmm. improv and i mean there was the whole crew there Mm -hmm. i loved going to the, the improv and i remember i mean. I actually literally thought about moving up there at one time and because it was just such a great community mm-hmm. and like a lot of good comics that I got a chance to meet and the wait staff and everybody. And yeah. uh, it was just so much fun. And then, you know, be going I mean, I haven't been there in years, but, uh, it, you know, he's right. just one of those guys that I'm so proud to see him. I, I was shocked to see him at the LOL over here a while back. And he said he was over here every now and then doing stuff. I said, oh, my gosh. Mm hmm. I can't believe I haven't seen him in forever. And it was so good. I made mean, my heart be really excited when I saw him. And and uh, you know, he's just a great guy. And then we saw him again for the Kenan thing, and he got the chance to meet my wife and stuff. Yeah. So that was pretty cool.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he I'm very biased, but he is. He's hard, he's hard to be mad at because he's just has such a genuine way about him, and he's just kind with no agenda. He's kind to I see it all the time. He's just kind to people, and I think that is a real gift. And I I don't know, I, it's convicting to me who grew up like as a believer. And sometimes I'm like, come on, Sean, like, you don't have to. And I'm like, why am I saying this? This would be something that I should be like encouraged by, but it's just like a beautiful thing that he just does no matter what. And, um, yeah, I, I learned from him daily on that and, and especially on joy. So thanks for saying that. I, I echo it fully. And, um, and thanks for being so awesome. This was so much fun. And oh, I think thanks. we covered a lot of stuff. So I, I appreciate it. And um, yeah, you're a blessing. So keep keep making people laugh from prisons to churches <laughs> to clubs. <laughs> and well, all I'll, the try. I'll keep
2: trying. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on. And if you ever if you ever have come up with any other questions, let me know. I'd love to be on again.